Uh, welcome to the Modern Job Hunt. Um, this is a series that I'm starting um, to basically dialogue some of my job hunting experience, talk to people I've met along the way. Um, and kudos to Catherine here, my first guest uh, on the series for, for coming up with the, both the idea and being one of my job hunt buddies um, these past few weeks. Um, and so the first series is going to be about, or the first talk today is going to be about layoffs, um, severance packages, the first two weeks, all that emotional roller coaster that you go through um, when you, you basically get brought into that meeting. Um, so yeah, I'm Ryan, senior product manager, trying to figure out the next thing, um, and I'll pass it to, to Catherine for an intro. Uh, my name is Catherine. Professionally, I'm a product manager. Sometimes I identify it as other things as well, but uh, most of the time I spend uh, a lot. I spend a lot of time mentoring and coaching now. And uh, yes, I I work in product, and I'm moving from. Uh, I originally started in ed tech, then I moved to M&A, the mergers and acquisitions, and now I'm moving into age tech, which um, will be an interesting shift for me. Cool, cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, hopefully today what we can do is talk about um, the layoff. Um, so, so I think that what um, a lot of people think is that... Uh, you know, layoffs are the worst thing in the world. And and before before I pass kind of the mic to you, I will say that I've been laid off more than once. And and I think that for those of us in technology, that is part of the job. Unfortunately, it's kind of this is this is an unfortunate thing they don't tell you in school that you're gonna get laid off in the modern 2020s workforce. And I think how you actually rebound from that is is the the part that uh, it's all about. So why I wanted to talk about layoffs specifically in this episode and our experiences is that a lot of people are going through this and it may be their first layoff. So hopefully this is the part of job hunting that, that is the emotional part that people can kind of be like, okay, there's more than more than me that, that are, are just, and if anyone is watching on, on LinkedIn Live, uh, feel free to comment or, or chat and I think it'll appear in the, in the, in the stream that, that Catherine and I are in. Um, but yeah. So yeah, my experience is, is not, not the first time, but yeah. How, how was your um, layoff experience? Um, so this was my first layoff. Um, however, I think one of the things I had set my expectations a long time ago when I had originally joined this company, because this was very, very early stage. We were, I had joined pre-revenue and uh, things like that. And I remember speaking to my product manager friends and I remember one of them saying is like, you do realize that the chance of failure will be very high. And, and I think that was very grounding for me to hear. And instead of seeing that as something scary, I was, I was like, okay, well then that means that as long as I condition myself, I should be okay. But despite that, this was the exact play-by-play -play when it happened. I had just come from a my first, actually my honeymoon. Uh, it was a very delayed one. It was a year a year away from the 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 wedding itself. I'd come back, and then I noticed a couple of my recurring meetings, uh, uh, specifically with um, key decision makers, were canceled. So then I had asked one of my teammates, like, "What's going on?" And they said, "You'll see." And immediately with that message, I I had a, a sense like. I think I know what's happening. So then I sat with in the meeting with the CEO and then they described what the situation was. They were very, very kind in, in terms of like, it wasn't the the layoff uh, experience that some people experience where it's like, you know, you just get cut off from everything and then you're just like, you're you're delivered a letter later. I was told like the situation and I had time to, to wrap up things. And uh, I think I had a two weeks, I had two weeks to wrap things up, so that was it was still a relatively like softer landing than some but uh yeah it still definitely hurt and wasn't easy to process and i remember right after that i had texted my husband just to like i'm like i i just lost my job i like let me process that i'm gonna need the whole day to like kind of like process this in my head so that was my experience yeah i, th I think what 
I'm hearing and, and I can resonate with is even though you went into a company where you knew there were risks, even though you knew the cash situation in the business, even when you saw those meetings canceled, it still takes time to, to process. And, and yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of tell my story, but I, I was at a company that had done a layoff before I joined. And I, and I, you know, you always think that they're done. And, 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 and unfortunately the reality is that like, you never, you never know. And, and even the company you're in today could be the one that's laying people off and the company that you're joining is the more stable one. So you, you never know, unfortunately in the tech sector. And so I joined, they did a layoff within a month. I was fine. So that was layoff two. And then there was kind of some, some kind of slow shifts um, as the business restabilized. And I think that's one of the things that like, they're, they're joining and then having a layoff so close also was the first time that I had like survivor's guilt of, of kind of a layoff is, is that like I joined and I was like, wow, a bunch of people just got laid off. I'm still here. Um, in the past, you know, it's always been, I was one of the, the many that, that were part mm. of the, the kind of cut. Um, and, and so that was the first time. And I had a similar experience where like suddenly my meetings were getting canceled for this one with, with, with the leadership people. And, and I was like, that's different. Um, and I'm like, I wasn't being assigned work at an accelerated rate. So kind of not being my first layoff, I was thinking, okay, usually this means there's like a leadership cog moving. And I'm like, I don't know which way this dial is going to go. Am I in or am I out? And, and so you kind of just have to wait patiently and, and like I actually mentioned to my wife like the day before I'm like hey I got this 8 a.m meeting that's pretty rare to to, to have an 8 a.m meeting it, like usually I find nine is when you try to organize meetings for as a nice time but if it's an 8 a.m it's I found early morning meetings are tend to be when companies try to do do layoffs um because yeah. they just get it out of the way of rip the band-aid off and uh so I was like, I don't think this one's going to go well. And sure enough, I was done in, I think, seven minutes. And, uh, and it was like, okay, I understood my terms and all that kind of stuff. And can't explicitly state them because of yeah. NDAs and all that kind of stuff. But it was like, I understood that I was done. And laptop basically locked itself within a couple minutes and went on with my day. And I actually went for brunch. I don't know. I don't know about you, but like, I pretty much shut the computer, and I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna, I gotta drop my kid off, and then went for brunch, and uh, just sat there by myself. I was, took a pee. I bought a, a London Drugs is like a yeah. shoppers out here, and bought a pen and paper, and just sat there writing down ideas of like what I wanted to learn and, and yeah. do, and like restreaming podcasting this is something that i had on that list and so now i'm like six weeks in i get the first restream up and and kind of testing out new content creation ideas so like nice it was kind of like i i did feel like what i wanted to see is like did you find it was a bit of a rebirth too like you're you're opening a new chapter that you never do when you just jump job to job when you jump job to job it's always like you know your path. It's like, mm -hmm. it's literally, you take one step forward, it's the next job. But when there's a layoff, it's this, I feel like you get a bit of air. It's it's like, it's not the best air that you want to breathe, but yeah, sometimes it's the air that you need. Yeah. I, I think for me, it really helped that this layoff was not my first period of unemployment. So in 2021, um, when I was working in ed tech, uh, I was working at a company for 10 years. I burned out pretty badly um, where I was in the middle of a one-on-one -on -one with my boss and it was a regular scheduled one-on-one. -on -one. It wasn't like a layoff announcement or anything like that. But in the middle of a one-on-one, -on -one, I just, I just couldn't do it anymore in the middle of, in the middle of it, I just asked for my resignation. I didn't even know how to properly resign. I just said, is it okay that I resign? Like that was exactly how I, I asked it. and. I started a sabbatical and that was honestly a lot scarier um, initially because I didn't expect to do that that day. That was definitely not on my to-do list at all. It just, I just said it and then it was finalized that I was going to take a break from work. So, and because I went on that journey, I had to find play in a period of time where I was deliberately trying to not work 
I think that that gave me the practice that made that allowed me to handle this layoff a lot better than I think I would have if I didn't do this. So, yeah, that was that was my that was my journey. So yes, I do agree. It was a like it's definitely a chance for a breather, and it was it's a, I I think generally speaking these are a lot of fun. I mean, for me because I had that uh, sabbatical to to draw from. Yeah, I, I would say that, uh, yeah, further to my comment about this being like a muscle of, of being in tech that you had to practice. Like I, I quit my first job out of university and did a year of traveling and consulting in different countries. And, and I loved it. And I, I, that was my first time blogging, first time practicing with like photos, all kinds of stuff. And it was like a blast and, and I would just work when I wanted to work and then like kind of travel a bit. And, and so like, I think both of us have done non-work before, which mm -hmm. I think can be daunting for someone that has always worked, even, you know, if you've worked for like, like your 10 year work experience and then you did not, you, you did a sabbatical for, for a while. It's, it's like, it's almost like anyone watching that's like, this is their first layoff. It's like, okay, learn, learn how to do this. And, yeah. and, and it's a skill. <laughs> and, and like, yes. because unfortunately you'll probably be back here at some point in the future and either on your own choice or, or not. And then, and then, you know, you get an opportunity to figure out what you want to do next. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really, that's really important. So one thing that I found myself doing during that sabbatical was as I started like, uh, mentoring individuals, especially when they were taking, whether by choice or not, uh, some sort of like period of unemployment and then helping them find the concept of play. And it's so fascinating to me because I look at like, I have younger cousins and I look at them and they they have no issue finding play. Like if you watch a young child, like they just go and let their minds explore and then they just pick up activities. Whereas like for, for us, I, get, I think as adults, we got that beaten out of us. And we, we're not allowed to explore and play anymore. So that's um, that's unfortunate, but it is something that we can relearn. And that's what I've learned. Like in my first two weeks after the after the, the layoff, I just, I literally played. Like I, uh, I, don't, I don't know if anybody plays any video games, but I, the Zelda game recently came out a few months ago. So that's exactly what I did. I saved Hyrule. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's actually all I did. I was like, yeah, no, I'm just gonna play video games. I I rarely would ever have that kind of time, so that's what I did. Yeah, I mean, I was I didn't do much prep for this episode last night, but I got thinking about all the tools yeah. and concepts that job hunters could use in my network and all kind. And I was just like jamming last night for like an hour and a half on what this series could be and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And it's like that it's like an open canvas kind of thing that like, yeah. you know, typically as a product person, you're offered, you get like maybe 10% of that creative energy and 90%, 95% is just like execution, data harvesting and like all that kind of work. Yeah. But it's like, it's that, you know, that 10% that's why we do our job. And now we kind of get to do it all the time all yeah. that unpaid yeah yeah well i mean it could turn paid <laughs> <laughs> do you find yourself like aside like the money aspect aside do you find it more fulfilling now um i mean i haven't i think part of what i love about products is that you can scale an idea um and so a lot of what i'm doing now is like self-discovery of learning small like this creation there you know um to, to to my immediate network but i think that's the beauty of, of kind of jumping on a ship that's already kind of set sail is that you can really like scale something um whereas this is almost like a you know in, in in the product concept of kind of like the guy in the coffee machine i'm like really like mechanically moving everything um and, and doing it all um and so it doesn't scale, but it's kind of like it is. And, and and I guess on the fulfilling piece, I think one thing that is the beauty of end to end is is end to end. Like like when you're in a big corporation, even in a company, 
you do something and you deliver it and it's like oh I was like one tenth of that maybe in your resume yeah. but I did this but you're yeah. like you're like one one thousandth sometime yeah. whereas like this it's like you know it's like me and you jamming creating this content right now and we're just having fun and it's like we own this like end to end which is like kind of the beauty of the job hunt you get to yeah you get to really like do things and say I did that and and that's kind of one of the things that as a digital worker I'm kind of like you know sometimes you finish a whole day and you're like what did I do I went to four hours five hours of meetings I moved things around in slack and and like <laughs> this like it's kind of cool that you actually like do things um yeah. even even boring job applications you bang out 10 job applications and you're like I did 10 today you know yeah. That can be something that even like, you don't, you don't release something in a sprint and you're like, I literally did, what did I do in two weeks? Like can't even claim anything. I feel like as job hunter, you do something every yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. Very. And, and I saw that you are doing a lot more conversation now. How are those like, and how did you kind of discover this? Yeah, I, I'm so part, you know, Catherine mentioned using this tool and, and it was like how to book faster meetings. And, and I put this on one of my LinkedIn posts and I was like, I'm booking 30 minute slots with people very easily because it requires less back and forth. And those conversations um, are great. They give me energy and, and, and it kind of allows me to keep going. And you get a lot of rejections as a job hunter which you're you're familiar with and and like you know if you get a rejection and you go into a call with a friend or someone in your community you're like ah by the end of that call you're like whatever that you know that four job applications that failed this morning they'll matter because i had a good connection that day and that's your win for the day um so yeah i, I uh yeah, I, I am like picking up little tidbits too about like how to job hunt better from yourself. You know, we've had a whole bunch of conversations from from friends like Mark um, and Stuart and others that are, are giving me ideas of how they succeeded in landing jobs. And, and then I'm hoping to pass those on through things like this and through one-on-one to like the group that come, because you were, you were like a month ahead of me. Mark was like three months ahead of me. I, I feel like you do learn a lot, which is why I wanted to kind of like do these things. It's like, mm -hmm. you almost got to pass the torch to the next, yeah. next group, unfortunately, that is laid off. And that is the tech sector right now. It's just kind of like rolling and hopefully we'll all catch a tailwind and work <laughs> soon. But um, unfortunately it is kind of this, you got to pass the torch, you got to feed the community. Yeah. Yeah. And then what has been, what has been the most impactful conversation you've heard so far? Um, yeah, the most impactful conversation. I don't know. I'll throw it back to you first and then I will think about it and then I'll come back. Okay. Well, my, okay. So, so I've been on this conversation track for a, a long time. So this is, I, I was, when I started doing the conversations again during um, uh, during this period, it, it was exactly what I was doing before, which was just like really fun conversation. I, I very rarely had asked anybody anything about job seeking. I don't think so. No, I hadn't. And, and um, I think the conversation that comes to mind right now is... Okay, I'm going to reference, I once ran into an ultra high net worth coach in one of my conversations. Now, in case anybody's wondering, I am not an ultra high net worth individual, very poor, nowhere close. Uh, and then she was explaining to me how, um, how she advises her clients to exert influence. Now, this might seem very unrelated to everything. Now, and and yes, it is. But this also describes like how my journey of conversation goes. She was talking about how to exert influence in certain areas of impact investing. So she specifically coaches people on impact investing. So you know how right now there's a current trend of um, uh, people pushing for green tech and green solutions. And she said a lot of her clients, uh, their reaction is to pull their money out of oil and put it into green solutions. And she said she actually advises not to do that because these individuals, they don't have like, you know, a few thousand dollars. We're talking about like really massive dollars. She said, actually, it makes a lot more sense to to keep your money where they where it is right now, let's say in the oil companies, and then 
use that as a method to influence those companies to, let's say, install a director onto the board that is green focus, green forward. And she said that person will have a lot more impact because if you leave your if you leave your position in the oil company, the person who will replace you is a somebody who won't care. And I was like, that was that was very impactful for me uh, when I when I'm thinking about like where I want to spend my time. Now, obviously, I'm not playing with those type of uh, chess pieces in terms of dollars, but I, I have those chess pieces in terms of where I spend my time and influence and where I have access to. So like, what, let me distill that down. Basically, use the platform that you currently have to exact the change that you want to see. And it's not just by following the next most popular trend and moving in that direction, but to know, to be aware of where you are right now and where you currently have your holdings and creating the change from where you are. So I was like, wow, that's super impactful. That is something that I don't often think about. And the lesson that it, that it came from an ultra high net worth coach is fascinating to me because like these are the people like she coaches individuals like uh, like the families of succession if you've ever seen that show that these are her clients and she's and she's like this is what she often has has to teach them and i'm like hmm, well i've learned a very valuable lesson and it's something that i take into my practice when i go into like mentoring and coaching that you know i don't have to be everything to everybody all at once i just have to focus on who i have access to yeah, totally understand. I, I <laughs> when I was in solar, um, yeah. I in the past as a product manager, I talked to someone that I knew from Total, and Total is one of the, you know, the yeah. major oil and gas companies. And his his view was that oil and gas companies are largely finance companies, and 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 that's you see that general trend in everything nowadays. Everyone wants to shift into fintech and offer financial yes. services as a layer and. He was saying that like, as oil and gas becomes less profitable, um, then they will naturally migrate over because they're, what they're really good at is raising money and the financial side. So I can understand that advisor's comments is that like, really they, they adapt to the financial um, markets and to their investors. So as an investor, you have a significant lever to play in, in that market. Um, yeah. And yeah, I can totally relate to kind of like where you can apply yourself. Um, and this kind of like goes back to like, Philip made it made one of the comments on the side there about kind of energy and, and, and positivity and whatnot. And I think that that mentorship that you mentioned and, and these conversations, like you don't leave your day if you've had a conversation and helped someone um, in, a, in a bad state. And I think that is what's critical is like, don't, don't always apply for jobs for eight hours a day. I, I don't think <laughs> you can survive doing that. It's just like no. your brain is, is is done. But like if you can put enough like positive boosts throughout your week, you finish relatively strong. And I think that's the thing that like these the first two weeks, which is what this this call was all about, you know, chatting about this layoff kind of window is is really figuring that transition out is like. Because of course, I first thought I got to work on my CV, I got to <laughs> jobs, all that kind of stuff. And then yeah. my immediate thing was like, I, I got to have a support network. And that's where I reached out to Mark and found you and, and some others. And it's like, okay, we had we built a little crew and then we're now supporting each other on, on yeah. getting to the next phase. And I think that like group thing was the smartest thing I did in my first two weeks was just like <laughs> go on my LinkedIn and find all the people that were unemployed and open to work on LinkedIn and yeah. messaged a few of them that were like my peers. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta talk to someone every week at least. And then that spun into conversations with you that were like, no, don't talk to us on Monday, talk to someone every day or yeah. every second day. And then, then you just power through the week. And then yep. I, mean, I am getting more applications out because like, I may have a day full of meetings chatting to people, but like the next day I'm like, okay, I'm on it today. Cause yeah. I'm energized. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the the other thing if for people that I found very helpful during my sabbatical was creating structure in my day. That's something that uh, I, I think was, for me, I underestimated the power of structure versus like when I was employed versus taking a sabbatical because you, um, unlike being laid off where you have that 
innate sense of creating your resume. You have like a long list of to do's. When I, when I went from like cold Turkey, quitting my job, I actually had nothing. So I had a complete vacuum and that was really weird to look at because I had no regular anything, like no stand up, no check in, nothing. So the very first thing I had to do, um, okay. So the very first thing I actually had to do and something that I don't think people talk about enough is like grieving, grieving for the job. I know, I know it's a job, it's not a, a person, but you still have to grieve for like what you had. And I think people go straight into job seeking without doing that enough. So grieving first and spend as much time as you need to like kind of decompress from that. But then the second thing was actually creating that structure. So one of the first things I did when I started my sabbatical was actually book it solid with, with conversations. So I had at one point, like eight conversations, like eight, one hour conversations a day. So my day was full. And then in between those um, conversations, I would write notes and write reflections about everything. So like my day was very, very packed. So even though I wasn't working, I was very occupied with thinking about all these different directions. Also even thinking about how the, all these conversations are related and how, who might, benefit from speaking to each other so that but that structure was what saved me because it kept me on something that um, made me excited for the next day and gave me energy to keep going despite in that situation I had no idea what I was going towards but I was going somewhere I knew I, I knew that was for sure I was going somewhere but I wasn't really necessarily searching for a job I wasn't driving for a specific outcome I was just you know just going by that day this time around, the only the major difference was that I I made sure because I was because dealing with a layoff, uh, dealing with rejections specifically uh, was very depressing. Uh, so one thing I made sure to fit in almost every day was a session of Muay Thai. And people would ask, like, why? Why that sport? Why? Like, why? And I'm like, well, you see, in my mind, if I can accomplish one tough thing a day, like finishing a Muay Thai workout session with for which my coach is a very tough individual. Um, I know I have done something good. Like, I'm like, I did that. <laughs> I might've gotten like 20 rejections, but I did my Muay Thai workout at 7 a.m. in the morning today. So, and that was really what kept me kind of like positive throughout the whole process. Yeah, I, I can totally relate. Like, I think for anyone that hasn't read Atomic Habits, it's like one of my favorite books. I listen to it almost every year. Um, and it just talks about, yeah, it's like November on Audible. I'm just on it, getting ready for the next year. And it's got so many good nuggets in it. Um, it's one of the few ones that I've listened to a bunch of times. And and they talk about how like mornings and habits and I've, I've adopted like so many of them, just putting the gear out the night before and all that kind of stuff. It means I yeah. do it like, I don't get it up every single time, but like I do it like much higher frequency than if I don't. And yeah, they talk about how like you can't have a bad day if you've got your workout and you ate healthy. Like, I mean, when you get a bad, really bad rejection, sometimes like I would say like to anybody watching, like, yeah, I, I just sometimes say screw it and close the laptop and yeah. <laughs> don't do anything for the rest of the day. That's just how, how it would, and we, we talked about that in one of the Monday sessions, yeah. how like, it's an emotional like roller coaster. And sometimes you just gotta be like, I can't do anything today. This is like too much. I'm gonna take a break. And and that's kind of like part of the job hunt is like managing the energy levels, um, which is something that doesn't fit into nine to five. Like you can have your structure, but like adding that energy piece is like also something that comes with time and practice. Yeah, yeah. Actually, and I don't know if anybody has ever tried like something, a, a fitness activity that's incredibly high intensity, like Muay Thai, is that it's challenging physically. It'll get your blood running. You're hardly any blood running in your head. You can't think of anything anyway. And then they give you combos to remember midway is that I actually don't have the capacity to think of anything else during that one hour process, like the one hour workout, which is such a relief on my brain. I, I didn't realize how... I thought I would just be like stuck in the thought of like, oh man, I got rejected. But like in the middle of those workouts, I cannot, if I wanted to just like, like be pitiful and think about all the rejection. I just can't. I'm just so, I'm just trying not to get hit. <laughs> like that's my only yeah. thought during the whole process. And then when I'm done the workout, 
like obviously I would remember what I was worried about prior to that but that whole one hour process I had a break and I'm like wow that's kind of cool that's kind of nice so that that is part of why I do something that high intensity is to take my mind off things yeah and I, th I think that like one of the things when we were chatting about structure is that everyone in the group that had kids were, were very like you know we got this structure thing down because yeah. we, yeah. we have no choice but <laughs> it's like I, I i hadn't thought of the other side of the fence where I, i've like you know had kids for a while so it's like yeah what happens when you don't have kids and you're just like exactly what you said you, it just throws your whole routine off because you don't have to be somewhere at nine you don't have to be somewhere at five and yeah and all that kind of stuff so i think that like how people approach the whole job hunt and layoff is really like variable depending on their life at yeah. the time um and i think we talked a little bit about self-identification and mm. like we're both not not 20 anymore and, and I think that like when you get out of school you kind of self-identify as the job that you go into because yeah. it's what you trained like all these years to do and you're like I did all this schooling to get this job and now they laid me off well over time you gradually realize these jobs don't they don't mean everything um you're gonna get a new one every two or three years at the most and and, and you know it's I think if you're in your 20s this could be harder for you yeah. than, than kind of in your 30s when you're like hey this is this is part for the course yeah i like these messages from from philip what would what would it be like if feeling positive energy was easy and then going to your job interviews feeling incredibly good about yourself and what you bring i i i like that comment simply because i'm pretty sure the interviews i have performed the best in were ones where i actually felt great um that I wasn't dealing with any sort of like uh, feelings prior to that. Like in the, in the, the interviewer, recruiter, hiring manager, whatever they, they can see it. So if you come in like a dejected person, they, they like, that's their first impression of you. So coming in with the right kind of energy was really, really important for me. Yeah. Yeah. But I can relate to that. And, and one little tip that like, there's a, different Philip that I used to work at at TELUS and he, he, he uh, talked after he got a role with Microsoft or no, it was Amazon at some. And, and he was talking about how he blocked off like 30 to 45 minutes before every interview to make sure he was like ready and relaxed and calm and, and ready. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I've added is, is like, I don't check email in that like time window before, or I try my best not to check email because the worst thing that I think can happen is getting a rejection about a totally different job <laughs> while you're going into a job interview and, or, or like any negative energy yeah. while you're like preparing. So it's like, at least if you have a half hour, you can reset. Even if you get an, an email at nine, if your interview is at 11, you're like, you'd mm. be good to go by 11. You go for a walk, you flush. And, and, and uh, but yeah, I think that, that if you, if you read too many emails right before an interview, it can be uh, can sink you. Yeah, yeah. And also making sure none of your tabs are open during an interview. That's also helpful because, you know, like Slack or whatever notifications could come through still and they can throw you right off. And oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, the latest question was how to use this to get past the stack of, of, of resumes. And so one of the things um, I've tried recently is is being unapologetically unique in my CV on the first page. Mm -hmm. I talk about like food that I like. I talk about like running shoes that I like because I'm a big <laughs> runner. I have a radar graph around my PM strengths and it pulls in different directions, like like super random stuff. And and like if you're yeah. interviewing me, you're probably interviewing me because of the stuff on the first page that's like oh did this 400% increase of this 400%, but like after the first minute of the call, do you really want to talk about everything? You want to talk about who I am. You want to talk yeah. about that kind of stuff. So I think it's like, how do you beat the ATS system and have personal stuff in your CV? It's like a super hard balance. Um, but I find that like, yeah, I, I read a bunch of stuff about CVs like a year or two ago and it talked about how, basically creating bias in the interview can lead you to go further rounds. And I've been super trying to do that the whole time, which is like 
you're not going to hire me because I'm 10% better than some other person. You're going to hire me because it's me. And like, yeah. if you can create that unique lock during an interview structure, you, you can get deeper into the rounds. And then it's a matter of like a coin flip usually at the end. Yeah. I think one of the things is that also, and this is a, a lesson I took from a coach actually from, from a very different concept, but they, they were talking about being able to create community around you. Um, if you're unapologetically yourself, you will attract people who are kind of like you or, or attracted to you. And I'm like, that. that's very much the same principle that we're using here when we do our applications. If we're unapologetically ourselves, hopefully we'll be matched with companies um, that will match us and then we will match them. And I think especially now that we're not, we're not, this is not our first rodeo. And I think for a lot of people watching, it's probably not their first rodeo as well. I think one thing is to be said is the culture of an organization matters a lot. Like aside from the pay, the compensation perks, all that type of stuff, you know, be, knowing like being in an organization where you fit in truly is important. Like the way you work fits in the way that they work. And, and to me that that's a lot more important than like just getting a pay and, you know, having an environment that just doesn't quite suit you. Yeah. And, and I think that the different thing versus our parents' generation is like, it's no law. Like, I think this, the resume and the, the schools, like if you were in Montreal and you went to McGill and you worked for a company in Montreal, mm -hmm. like they're like, it was like that process and they had to hire someone in Montreal. Now it's like they can hire you from anywhere. So I think cultural fit becomes that much more important. And on both sides, because you have the option, you're like, Oh, I'm someone that like, I love remote first. I, mm -hmm. I think there's still a role for in-person gatherings and bringing yeah. people together. But I, I think that like you get a wider variety of people that are specialized in an area and interested in an area um, and have better balance and a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm a remote person and, and like I can find companies that are like that and, and people that are like me. And, and yeah, I think we're still figuring out remote, but but like, I love that we can match better than like our parents' generation. And it does, it does hurt a lot more though, when, cause you develop this relationship and this soft capital and all that with all these people. And then you, you get laid off. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, we're, we're both a generation that has more choice, but then a generation that has, a lot more layoffs and, and, and kind of ups and downs. There's a lot more variability. Yeah. I mean, one thing I was just talking to my uncle about this and he's, uh, he's like the one, well, leader of the, uh, I, I mean, leader as an age of the baby boomer group. And he's, he was talking about all the, the pension plans. And I'm like, we don't get, we don't get that amazing pension. We don't have that. We don't have that. Like they're talking about like that was a very different time when you would stay, you would be a lifer at a company because like they just had amazing pensions. But nowadays, I don't know many companies that really even maintain even like the big banks of Canada. A lot of them have phased that out. So if you were to join a big bank now, you won't have access to those really great pension plans that they once had. Maybe the gov government still has the pension. Yeah. Yeah. Provincial, federal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that like, um, you know, just before we went live, one of Philip's comments about cultural fit and whatnot, we were, we were chatting about how um, like salary transparency and, and other things, like we're yeah. both big fans of that and how like com some companies are doing it really well. Like there's one company out there that I've seen, you need a budget. And I think their process is like crazy long. They take like three or four months to hire a role, but they have like mm -hmm. seven rounds. They lay it all out at the start. They show, they they have videos to prepare. This is the right fit for you. They're like super yeah. clear on everything. So then it's like, is this something for me or is it not for me? Yeah. Um, and, and very few companies, I feel like are, are laying it all out and saying, this is what we're about to do. Yeah. Like even I found in some interview rounds, they add rounds. Like they're like, oh, now we want you to talk to this yeah. stakeholder, that stakeholder. And it's like, you're changing your process. Like how, why? Um, yeah. and like, like if, it, if you really needed that step, you should, have, it's like, it's like, you know, I understand that like 
maybe you need to adapt, but it's like, it's not your first product hire. Like you should have yeah. a process. It's like, it, it's like if we were like building a systems architecture and we're like, we're just going to throw this in here. It, yeah. like, no, like don't think about this before you're going to post a role and, yeah. and lay the process out. So your candidates can know this is right for me or not. Yeah. I think sometimes that's also a symptom of how work is done internally, because what I can imagine if they're very messy about that process is that, maybe they don't check in with all the right stakeholders up front, meaning that working there is probably going to be very similar. Anyway, I use that as a as signal for me to, to figure out like what, what it is kind of like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that like, so Philip put a comment on the side about like raising kids and employers and whatnot. I think that's the, another thing about kids and job hunting yeah. is like, A, it's good because you have that structure and you finish the day at a certain time, but like you can't end the day annoyed and, and like are engaged. And like maybe, maybe my wife would say I'm not, I didn't do this hundred percent of the time in the last month and a half, but like I try my best to leave my office and not be, emotionally drained and, and and so sometimes that does mean like powering down earlier because like it's not fair to anyone else in my family to bring the frustration of job hunting outside of my four walls that I operate within um, and maybe you can relate as like someone that's married you're like hey it's not it's not my partner's problem that I'm job hunting it's like and I just got a rejection I gotta figure out how to compartmentalize it and I think that compartmentalizing is like something that we can bring to employers as older hires. It's like yes. you're starting to figure out how to like compartmentalize and understand like sometimes, you know, your manager has made a bad call, but you're like, that's probably because his manager made the bad call and my manager is just the one in the middle. So I think we're learning all these things as we get wrong out through life. But yeah, maybe you can comment to that. Um, well, I don't have kids, but I could tell you the main difference, like my, from my first uh, like company, the EdTech one and this one, the, the most recent one I was laid off from was the difference in uh, number of parents I was working, like I was working with. So in the previous company, I was working a young 20 something year old, like classic startup, not many parents, or like if they became parents, it was later in the stages of the company. Um, and then this other company where they already had kids and it was, I love that experience of working with people who already had kids and you could tell they were devoted to their families because they had very clear lines of separation between work and my personal time. And that, that was actually a masterclass in like work-life balance. And, I, and despite the outcome of, you know, effectively, um, uh, uh, having been laid off, I still love that experience because I learned from them. These are individuals who are high performing individuals, but they know exactly when to cut things off and that nothing comes before family. And, I'll, and it's just, it's very interesting because having come from an environment where you're super young, everybody's willing to work till like three, 4 a.m., like ready to go again the next day at like 9 a.m. again, that, that was really like our lifestyle. We didn't see anything beyond that. And now it's like, oh, I love working with parents and they are very efficient too. That's, that's my observation of working with parents. Like they're just really fast at making decisions because they got somewhere to be, they got to pick up kids. They got to, they got like, when they have like a vacation plan, they're like, look, I have to plan the vacation, get all of my work done and have everything ready to set. Cause I got to also pack the bag for, for my husband. I was working with a person who was a wife. It's like, I got to pack my bags for my husband as well and get all this stuff done. So like, pop, pop, hurry up. <laughs> and I'm like, that is efficient. You are very, very good at this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I can relate. I've definitely sped up a little bit and, and, and pre-planning. You're like, okay, I got to do that thing by Friday, so I'm actually got to do it by Sunday, and, and and like, there's no time in between in between that block. But I think also what I'm hearing from that is this is another gift that I think we get because we're not at the same employer forever. I think I have appreciated a lot of past employers more after like leaving them. And, and then you see all these little things that like, okay, like that company did that well, that company did that well. And so mm. because we're getting to see things um, 
at different places. It's mm. it's like we're gonna eventually, you know, have a, a much more steady steady hand um, when we're hopefully in, in positions of leadership. That that, and I think that like one one thing I want to like um, the person that officially laid me off um, was super uncomfortable, and this was not my first layoff and 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 I know he we had a great relationship um in this in this recent company and I was able to be like so nice back to him because mm -hmm. I've done this before um and I know it's not like his fault um like yeah. even at the companies where it was laid off by a founder and CEO it's like the numbers just didn't work and like at the time I was like super annoyed at that person but like now I'm kind of like, oh, it also sucks for the person on the other side. And like yeah. in a big corporate, like I wasn't in a huge corporate in my recent one, but like I could see that even being worse. You're like someone seven levels up said, you got to cut 10%. And then this manager seven levels down. It's like, my team is amazing. Who do I cut? And so I think that there is, there's like a level of learning that you get to after a few weeks after the job hunt. And when your second round comes around, you're like, that sucks to be in his shoes too. Yeah. Is there a support group for people who do layoffs? I'm, I'm sure they need it actually too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. Like once I, I had a boss who was in EO, like yeah. entrepreneurs organization, and he said that was required because there's no one else to talk to at a certain level of an organization. You basically don't have peers that are in that position of like, laying off VPs and stuff like that because you're the CEO. So so I think hopefully as you grow up, you kind of ladder with other people. And, and I think, unfortunately, maybe we'll be a level or two up in a couple of years and maybe we'll have to lay people off. But it's like, um, yeah, it's, it's a rough go on the other side too. Yeah. I, I recently ran into this. Uh, it's kind of like this group coaching uh, website called Sidebar. Lenny often advertises it and it and it's particularly aimed for people who are leaders who are looking for that kind of group mentorship because I, I I realize that how lonely it is because when you sit that far up on the top and it might not be like that far up you could be of a very small startup but it's hard to find and so not as not as many people who can relate to it or it's hard to find that group of people so they have like group coaching for that and I'm like I understand that. And that's actually also where I found a lot of community, a lot of support when I was part of On Deck. When I was part of On Deck, they had a lot of support going to the founders. And like, as a person who's worked with founders very intimately, both from mentoring perspective and also like from an employment perspective, I can see there are a lot of challenges that they go through. And that's why I respect that journey so much, the, the founder journey, and why I personally know that it's not perfectly the right match for me and my my own personal risk tolerance it's tough it's tough out there when and it gets lonely too when you're you know maybe you were in the beginning people would praise you of how smart you are of thinking of this visionary statement of what what you're going to change in the world and then the reality starts to hit where it's like you can't keep the staff that you brought on and now you have to deliver the axe yeah i mean i think it the the 25 year old founder that has never lived through life i could see maybe that you know there's enough psychopathic founders out there that okay. feel that that pain but yeah um like having lived through multiple layoffs myself and having a family when i understand kind of belt tightening and certain other yeah. factors and and like to then go into a position of leadership and be like okay i gotta it's not me that i'm in, it's like i'm impacting 10 families tomorrow or something like that or or like thousands of families like i i would have a hard time sleeping uh like that is the one benefit of, of being kind of a relatively mid-level employee is is you don't have to cut a thousand people uh the next day or, or some of these things that it's like but maybe they just get used to it it's just building a <laughs> muscle of hiring many people it seemed it seemed yeah but uh one of the things I was going to ask you was about the open to work bubble on LinkedIn. Yeah. How long did you take to post that? I never posted it. 
okay. Like like the you're talking about the green little thing. The green, the green. Yeah, yeah, no, I never posted it. And and part of the reason why is that sometimes yeah. I find you get really weird unsolicited posts. Like I don't know if anybody has gotten like I, I did um uh, uh I think because I'm a LinkedIn member and if you say that you're open to work, you get um some recruiters. Like, like you, you yeah. get like like there's a certain rule that like if they they can send you messages or something like that. So I've been getting a lot of PMP, like spam messages from these accounts with very obvious fake names and fake profile pictures. And I'm like, uh, like I, I don't want spam. And I, I would get quite a bit of spam uh, coming in. Or yeah, that, that was my experience anyway. So like I never really put that um, that banner up. Another reason why I didn't, and that is a very strategic decision for my my part is that i still engage a lot in a lot of these open conversations and the last thing i want people to think before engaging with me especially for the first time is thinking that i have a hard ask or sell is uh the fact that i was looking to close a job like it wasn't why i want to talk to them and most of my conversations like i never even shared that because that was not relevant for the conversation so I didn't want that to be very painfully obvious to everybody because I do notice that there is, this was from my experience of in a sabbatical, because especially I was um, on lunch club, I exhausted their uh, their limit for the week. So I was doing a lot of asks is that when people think that you have a sell or something to ask from them, they're very quick to say, no, I don't have like, please don't knock on my door kind of thing. And uh, yeah, that wasn't really the environment I wanted to set up before going into a conversation. I really just wanted to talk to them, learn something from them or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, from the people that I've talked to about the green circle, basically, yeah. <clears throat> um, a lot of people hesitate putting it up, yeah. like initially, which I, I did as well. I, it took oh. me like a week or two to actually be like, okay, I think it was like a week to, to be like, okay, I'm going to flip the switch, put it, do a little post. And, and it did create like an influx of like messages then. Um, yeah. And then replying to that, which I would actually say, don't do the green circle if you're like right out of it, because like you do almost need these first week or two to yeah. like, get your CV together to get uh, like structure, like yeah. we were talking about earlier, because like what I found was like, I put it up and then I was like overwhelmed by like so much stuff. I hadn't really set up my job hunt routine. Yeah. And then, so you're like trying to get back to all these people offering for help. And it's just like, it's like too much while you're in your yeah. first two weeks. So, um, and then there's also like everyone. So everyone does engage you at the same time friends, family, all kinds of people, all channels, doesn't need to be linked in. Yeah. They're like WhatsApping SMS. So you have to be able to like balance the initial rejection and be like, I'm ready for the next hit basically. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. like all my friends and family are going to contact me and be like engaging me about the fact I don't have a job, which is totally fine. I think yeah. you, it's either you do it that way or you do it on one-on-one -on -one conversations. I, I felt ripping the bandaid off was the best for me and, mm -hmm. and, and kind of jumping into that. But um, I did it too soon. Probably would have waited another week before I, I kind of like really was ready. And I, I, I've never flipped the green circle on before. I think every other mm -hmm. job hunt I've always kind of just like powered through like you mm -hmm. and, and kind of had very short gaps. But this time I did it because I was like, wow, the market's really bad. Um, <laughs> I might need that like yeah. support from my network. And my network's been like super supportive. Um, yeah. and, and I think because I'm posting things and content on LinkedIn and I have the green circle, I think it's, it is reminding people like, okay, I got to look out for this guy. And everyone, everyone has been saying, yeah, they're going to yeah. look for roles and, and that kind of stuff. So it's, it, it's, I think it's an effective way. Yeah. Um, but it's like a tool you have to manage correctly. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, it's just mostly like timing. I didn't feel necessary. I see this message from Philip saying like, you don't want people to believe you're talking to, with them to find work. This has specifically to do with like new conversations. And and yes, I I, I know from my personal experience that there, there was, um, uh, if you preface, well, I'm going to speak solely from my experience. Everybody has, is entitled to their own. When I preface the conversation with, I'm open to work or whatever. 
their first response is always thinking of me in that frame instead of thinking about all the other things I could possibly offer. And, um, and at least for me at my current stage of where I am in life and what I can do, I had far more openings for more creative types of work. Like for example, um, like I'm building up a lot more, I'm working on a lot of things for like the course that I teach at York and also like my coaching and mentoring practice. So I really wanted the focus of the conversation to be a lot more there. And I, and at the time, at the time that I chose not to, it was also because I, I wanted to ease away from the job application. Like, so I had, a, I had a very comfortable runway. So I was not like in any sort of urgent um, mindset to close any sort of job. So like, if it, if things change, like if I felt like, oh, I want to close within this calendar year, then I would have changed that. But yeah, just for where I was, I didn't feel it was necessary. Yeah. And, uh, and I think there were a few other points that I wanted to like quickly touch on, but like um, severance packages, there's something that like, I feel like you only start to learn as you get into this um, world and, and of tech. And I think that people assume they read Google gave someone six months and they're like, okay, you're in that meeting, Zoom calls on, you're like, I'm gonna get six months. It's like, it ranges like crazy. Um, you know, like what every company does, what your contract is, what their balance sheet is. Like I, I you know, when, when a role is sometimes eliminated, um, I thought that that was a restructuring, but my lawyer friends were like, no, a restructuring is when the company's like dissolving and it's like an absolute mess. So you're getting laid off. And, and, oh. and at that point, um, you're basically collecting like the scraps and, and you got to just be okay with that. Um, so like, that's what a restructuring like legally is. Whereas mm. like, you know, what we often are impacted by, it's just like roles being shot basically. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, um, like in your in your experience, um, like did you talk to other people about severance, like how it all works and and that kind of stuff once you were laid off? Uh, yeah, I spoke to an employment lawyer, and they uh, because my my work had done this the layoff in like basically they gave me notice, um, and I had only been working for them for a relatively short period of time. They're like, so given your th like that. Uh, that lawyer gave me guidance like, hey, you can go for, you can choose to pursue for a, a much larger severance pay. However, they already gave you notice. So that's a major difference in the, the way mine played out versus others. So because mine gave notice of uh, dismissal, like basically that two week, that was considered the, the severance period. And I was like, oh, interesting. And they said also because of my age that like there's not there's more that I could fight on, but they it, it didn't sound like they had a lot of confidence in that. And I was like, you know what? I'm okay with that. Um, this <laughs> maybe that like for me it had a lot to do with like that frame of mind of going into this opportunity. I know that they I know what they had um gone into and I know what the state of the company is right now so I know like hey fighting for the that is like you can only draw so much from stone it's like trying to draw more water from it it's like I don't know what I'm fighting it, it, like if I was maybe like part of a larger a larger organization like big telco a banking organization where I know they have like stores of cash somewhere uh, that's maybe a different story but here I'm like I'm very grateful for the opportunity and I, I knew I was going to be very quick to kind of bounce into something else. So I was like, you know what? It's okay. Yeah. yeah. And and I had a similar conversation I talked to um, and, and like there is a type of lawyer called an employment lawyer. I, I like reached out to a yeah. bunch of friends and got pointed in the right direction. And if you Google employment lawyers, you can kind of get one. Sometimes your severance contract actually has an expiry date. Um, mm -hmm that can be challenging to fit those calls in before that actually comes up. But I had yeah. a similar thing where they were basically like, what you are getting is probably fine. Like if you fought yeah. it, you could maybe get more, but then our fees of the lawyer's fees yeah. eat into that gain. And so there's like this diminishing returns and then sometimes you just want to like move on. Um, yeah. And so there is like, 
they mentioned like age skill set specialists. I think one of the other challenges um, is that like as we specialize in our careers, we become like less transferable too. Yes. And so technically the severance should accommodate for that. But what I've learned is that like really it depends on the company's health, not like your own personal specialization and, and like a whole bunch of other factors. And, and on the telco piece, it's like, yeah, you could fight them, but they can lawyer up no problem. They're like yeah. already ready. And so it's it's like, and then there's also, if you're part of a mass layoff, then it's like, they're going to compare your comp with someone else's comp on a set standard and a whole bunch of variables. So like, are you personally going to get more? So it's like severance is like a super complicated. It took me like, I basically spent four days of digging into severance stuff and, and, and then was like, then that allowed me to accept what I got, which is like, you know, maybe I should have just moved on, but like, it, yeah. it gave me like closure that I'm like, okay, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember engaging with an employment lawyer for the very first time when I signed the employment contract, because my, because my situation was a little bit odd because it was a U.S. based uh, startup, but but it, yeah, you learn a lot, and but I I didn't really. Maybe maybe it has a lot to do with my own person, but I'm like I didn't really want to fight it. Um, my even though the lawyers would be essentially doing the work, you know you're emotionally tied to something when you're actively engaging, and I didn't. I thought they were very generous already, and the way that they had, um, uh, like gave me the news and the notice that they gave was quite generous already, considering like. Remember at the point that I was laid off, which was my last day was June 9th. So I, I got the notice two weeks before that. The economy as a whole has been going through layoffs since what Q4 of 2022. And I've been hearing all of everyone's stories of what it was like to get laid off where they like, you know, wake up and then they see an email message like, oh, by 901, you'll get an email letting you know whether you're here or you're staying or not. And I'm like, like that caused way more anxiety compared to what I got, which was just a very civil conversation about the realities of what we we're facing. And I'm like, okay, and I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, and, and I think that uh, that is the, the, the thing that we're all going through right now. And, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but I think the more of us have, and that's why I wanted to have this conversation on this kind of the the sticky topic of, of kind of layoffs and severance and, and yeah. the first two weeks, because that really, that's the, you, you don't take a course on, like you can take a course on how to improve your CV or get a consultant on it, but like having the conversation about your first two weeks and the feeling of going into the call and like HR is there or a lawyer is there. It's like, I don't think you'll ever get good at that, but it, <laughs> you can you can get better at kind of adjusting to it. Yeah. We can almost share our experiences to know that that's normal to, to yeah. kind of leave and be knocked off your feet. Yeah. Well, you could talk about EI. That's something that pro probably for a lot of people, this is their first time. And like that process alone is like, you better know what you're doing. You can easily kind of mess things up, miss a deadline. Yeah. I, having <laughs> applied it's as a product person, you're like, can we not <laughs> hire some of our people from the tech community here to fix this system? Like, it's like a horrible, like, I'm like, you could make a better questionnaire with type form and like, it, there's so much better stuff out there to like, you know, all these radio buttons and, and like, then it's not clear. Like they don't even do good tool tips that kind of explain things. It's like that UX is like 20. Yeah. So yeah, I found out that, my severance is when like it goes for a period and you can't double dip on EI. There's like a yeah. window there, but then the system doesn't seem to be like smart enough to recognize when that window is. And it asks you like, did you get paid recently? I'm like, no, but, but, but like, <laughs> but like the severance can, can overlap that. And like, yeah. it, even though your employer is reporting to them and you're reporting to them accurate information, it's not like putting the data together. I'm like, what? Like, I just, you know, maybe we assume things work because we're private sector people, but like, it is a, yeah, it's not a great system. You'll probably end up calling EI. Like, I called them once already, was on that call for like an hour trying to sort basic stuff out that you'd think they would have web forms and a few other things that like reminders. Call back. Yeah. <laughs> Reminder. Yeah. Even like a 
an, an ad to calendar Google widget. Yeah. You know, basic startup <laughs> on day one kind of thing. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. oh yeah, if you miss it, then I think I, I get it, it's it is it's a lesson on like positive friction. Some, like that was something that crossed my mind when I was going through that process. I'm like, is this positive friction? Because like you know, it's like yeah, they make it difficult, but they want to make sure that you need this, so you will put that effort to put those reminders in for yourself every two weeks to fill out that report. Otherwise, did you ever need it at all? And I'm like, oh. But <laughs> I think I, I think that's the like sunny side of the coin as a pm that likes to focus on accessibility when i can it's like an incredibly inaccessible process i'm like how is it that i finished a degree from a great school and i finished this and i'm like i've got to go to my monday call with you guys and be like how does this system work like read everything and i'm like i have no clue what's going on like there, there's no videos there's no tutorials it's like it's like you get a piece of paper with a code on it like, <laughs> I'm like what yeah. There's a pie paper. And, like, and don't could lose you not it. have automated yeah. a call to me and, <laughs> and like said, hey, punch in something. Like yeah. still paper. Yeah, don't lose it. Yeah. Yeah, don't exactly. lose it. Like that that's the one thing about all government documents. You lose it, oh no. You're you're gonna have to go through like hell and back just to try to like get back onto something. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's like an incredibly inaccessible yes. process, which they should work on, but Hopefully, hopefully, at, at least it's it, it is accessing um, or, or processing the the forms, which apparently the American system didn't rent when COVID hit. So at least our digital system kind of is half baked and, and seems to work okay. Oh, you're saying that the Canadian system is better than the U.S. system? I've never heard. Like I've never. I heard during when the pandemic hit that they literally couldn't process the volume. Of, of applicants because it was so uh, they, they they jacked the friction to the max on that to like make people not want to apply whereas our system like i feel like it it's not great it's yeah but like it kind of works if once like i feel like after a couple cycles you're like yeah. i get it i can do this um yeah. but it's like it's like from an onboarding perspective like someone's got to tell the CRA what onboarding is and how to do it because they're not, they haven't taken that course in Reforge. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I remember helping some family members apply for the CERB benefit. Remember that the COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember helping them and yeah, not the most accessible, but at least like it worked. Like I called a number, punched a couple things and you know, they were able to get the benefit. It was as far as government things go, pretty easy. But I didn't realize like how hard the U.S. systems were. Yeah, during well, during COVID, there I, I listened to a few podcasts about, about how they their forms were just taking their systems down. Oh wow, wow! But yeah, I know we've gone a few minutes over. So thanks yep. for thanks for connecting on this, and hopefully everyone that kind of has been watching uh, from home got something out of it and. I'm putting together some stuff for a future episode. I'm just gonna bring on a recruiter. I got another person interested in AI in the job hunting space. Ah. So got a few got a few other kind of talks that I'm I'm trying to line up now. So uh, stay tuned. I'll, I'll post yeah. some more information soon. But yeah, thanks for you know some great support these last few weeks, uh, like as a as a job hunting team um, and and all the kind of energy you brought to the call. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see more. Thanks, guys. Bye.